If you have your Bibles taken, open them up to the book of Micah. One of the prophets of the Old Testament, the book of Micah, chapter 5. I was reminded this past week, Rosie and I were home, and uh, generally with everything going on and all, I don't spend a lot of time watching TV, don't have that time, but we took a night that uh, we did, and uh, Jacob was at work, and we were kind of all alone there, and decided we'd watch a little TV, and it was the Greenwall or Griswall Christmas. So I was reminded, I will tell you, Mater, I thought of you. <clears throat> Have a real nice Christmas, and everything that could go wrong went wrong, but it ended up being good. And uh, as we celebrate Christmas, oftentimes we focus on the things that have not been good, but yet, when we take for a moment and sit back and think, there's so many blessings to it. So it is a blessing to have each one of you here today. The book of Micah, uh, the past Sundays of December, I did Christian, <clears throat> excuse me, Christmas Redemption, and then did a message with Christmas Faith, and then last week, Christmas Worship. And so today, the title is Christmas, the Trinity. And uh, as I talked about the uh, Griswold Christmas, it was always an adventure, especially when you haven't seen the movie before, but you've seen the previous ones, you know that something is going to be an adventure. And so today will be an adventure through your Bible. I uh, want to look at a couple of things. I'll use several different scriptures. I'll let you get there, and if you're not fast with it, you can write them down. But what I want more than anything to present to you uh, is if you come in contact with someone that doesn't understand Christmas or the gospel, I want to give you some scriptures today that you can refer to so quickly. No greater present than sits right over there that found Jesus Christ. In each one of you. But that is a praise, and I'm proud for you. Not too shabby there, Miss Sheila. For a grandma, not too shabby. Done pretty good. Christmas Trinity. So as I gave a little bit of this last week, I told you that everything, and we always, when it comes to numbers of the Bible, Anything dealing with three always has a reference to the Trinity because it's perfect. Of course, seven is the perfect number uh, represented in biblical uh, theology and all, but the three always reminds us of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they were all present when God created the world. We read that in Genesis. And it comes very descriptive when He creates man. He says, Let us make man in our own image. And we know that sin entered in and destroyed what God had perfected. And so Christmas again 
represents, and we'll see that today, of the perfection coming. God gives it a second trip, a do-over, if you will, and brings forth Christmas to make perfection for His creation once again. So I invite you to look in Micah chapter 2, and the three that we will look at, and each will have a meaning to it, but there is the birth, the death, and the resurrection. And although this is Christmas, and when we celebrate the, uh, those events, we generally do them separate at a different time of year. But understand, just like everything about the Bible, there is always a beginning. And Jesus says, I am the beginning, I am the Alpha, and I am the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. You can't have an end without the beginning. And so we always look back to that beginning. And here, the birth is the beginning of that do-over, that second chance. You'll understand that as I go along here in a moment. But Micah chapter 5 invites you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Huh? Five. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. You're able to stand, Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. Did I oops and say 2 first? Yeah, it was the Griswold and Mater that got me confused. Anyway, Micah 5, beginning in verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, and Rath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler of Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until that time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. You may be seated. Our Lord and Savior did not come, as you know in the reading of Scripture in Luke chapter 2, and as Connie referred to that while ago, the Lord didn't come in great uh, standard as a king as far as the world and the earth looked at that. He came to be born not in the palace and in Jerusalem, the, the city, or in Rome or anything of that day, but it was in a faraway little place, a little town, similar to what we would think about Lano, Texas, being a small town when you compare it to Austin or Houston or Dallas, San Antonio, we're just a little rural community. And so it was where our Lord and Savior would be born. He came to this small little place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not really on the map. Uh, Nazareth, obviously, was where, he, where his family resided, and they had gone to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was about, about five miles or less outside of the city of Jerusalem, where they had to go, as we know, they were going there to be uh, with the census and all that had been decreed. And so that was their major city, something like we would think about going to from here to Austin. But in those days, they walked 
or they simply had a chariot. His family was not wealthy. Uh, we know that Mary was a very young teenage girl at the time that the Lord had uh, given her the baby. And so her and Joseph went into Bethlehem right outside that would make a very easy walk the next day to go into Jerusalem. But because it was a small town, it also had no fabulous hotels or inns in which to stay. And he came, as we read, and he asked for a room. And he said, there's no room. He said, but my wife is probably going to give birth very shortly. And so the innkeeper offered up his barn. When we think about a manger, you know, a lot of times in the depiction of, of, the, uh, of the manger scene, we see this little hand crib or whatever. The manger wasn't that. The manger in that day and time was a feed bucket. Okay? It's a trough. That's what it was. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, which really are rags. And yet, all of the Israelite people carried these type of cloths with them. These rags or swaddling clothes because they were always fearful in the long journeys. If they were to pass, they were to be covered. We saw that as Jesus died. They put a covering over his face and all. And so that's what these cloths were for. Yet they were to ring in a brand new child. That's what they were there for. And the other rags and things about the barn were used to bring in. And here Micah proclaims, he says, out of you, little Bethlehem, notice what we read. He says, you are little among the thousands. You're not a great city. You're off the map. One of those places today, you know, because we have the automobiles and trucks and stuff that if you blink, you've already missed it. You went through too fast. He says, but you shall be the one for the root of Jesse. And then God proclaims through Micah, he says, the one to be the ruler of Israel. We know that Israel always emphasizes as an example of mankind as it is used. As we go through here, we also notice if you read on down a little bit further, they're in times of great fear because the Assyrians and all have come in and Israel is going through battle and conflict and upheaval, much of what we see in the world today. And they did worship God during this time, but the worship as we read through the Old Testament oftentimes was worship out of ritual and out of fear. Because of the book of the law, the forgiveness required some type of offering, a sin debt, if you will, and the spilling of blood. And so Jesus was born into this. It was where people worshipped Jehovah and he was at a distance. They did not go into the Holy of Holies. They could not come and worship God directly. They always had to go through a priest. There was a mediator. For them to go through rather than being able to talk directly to God. God would talk to the prophets. But again, they did not come to his reverence. And so, what this purpose of Jesus coming, and God orchestrates everything. Realize that he could have come as God, but that was not God's plan. He had him come as a human being. Just like you and I enter this world, not full grown, we come as a very tiny baby. Everything has to be taught to us. It is a brand new beginning. 
And of course, we know the story that the angels came and they cried out and told the shepherds again, everything you're going to see about the Christmas story had a reason and a purpose that God is bringing forth as we know that the gospel in John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world, meaning inclusive of all, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The shepherds that were told that were the first ones to have the knowledge and the rise that Jesus had been born. These were shepherds outside of Jerusalem. The flocks that they tended were those flocks that were to be the perfect sheep that could be offered for sacrifices. The lambs without blemish. That was their whole productivity. They were not even allowed, as you continue through the story, that they could enter the gates or the courtyards of the temple because they were less. They weren't clean. They were considered to be dirty and non-cleansed. They were the outsiders. They were the least among the people. Today we would correlate them more or less other than they had a job, but our homeless population, they just were there. And yet God chose them to know the first, to be the first to know His Son had been born. And so why did, why did God want Jesus to come as a small baby? Well, turn with me, if you will, over to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. And in Revelation, what we read is actually in the, to understand all that has taken place, and that is the greatest thing about the Word of God, is it constantly goes back and forth for us to see all that God wanted us to know from the very first chapter in the first verse of Genesis to the last chapter in Revelation and the last verse. But in 1.17, John is here where he is able to see heaven. And he says this, John 1, uh, Revelation 1.17 says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and death. Write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. God came full-fledged in human form. Why? To be like us, to give us the example, to let us see what God is really like. The characteristic that Jesus gives here in Revelation to John is the first thing of what we talked about a while ago. They worshiped out of fear. John now appears before Jesus himself again. He's been before as he was one of his disciples, but here he sees Jesus in heaven on his kingdom on his throne, and he says, I fall down right before him as though I were dead. And Jesus, the first thing he says is, do not be afraid. You remember in the, as the angel came to the shepherds? You can imagine from where they were stood and all that took place here, suddenly this heavenly host appeared, and they say what? 
Do not be afraid. What did the angel Michael first tell Mary? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Over and over again, we see that in Scripture. When Jesus walked on the water, his disciples were in the boat. They were fearful, and he says, Do not be afraid, for it is I. God let us know directly Jesus came not to cause fear, but to bring peace. To bring peace to you and I. Even when we accept Him as our Lord and Savior, one of the things that we can be assured of is that we now have the opportunity to have peace in our lives. Not worried about what's going on around us, for He controls everything. This birth brought peace to the world. When God created this world, He created Adam and Eve, and it says, Scripture tells us, that He walked with them in the cool of the evening of each day. That fellowship, that relationship. Here again, He brings the Son as one of us to bring peace, not to be fearful in our worship, but to have that relationship once again as He created it to be, as He would walk with Adam and Eve. You see, He desires to walk with you and I daily, to come over and over again what an example Jesus would be throughout his life on this earth to you and I of how to live and how to walk. Notice that also in the reading of Micah, he tells us that there will be peace, that that's what will become of what he is bringing here. When he says, therefore, he shall give them up until that time and she is in labor and given then the remnant of his brethren shall return the children of Israel and stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. The last verse that I read, the beginning of five, says, And this one shall be peace. That was that baby in that manger to bring peace to the world. Micah 6, over a few verses here, a few chapters. Micah 6, verse 8, tells us the following. It says, And he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Just as it was in the beginning, Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the evening, humbly to converse and have a personal relationship with our Lord. Next would come from that would be the death. So we have the birth. In the previous messages, the birth represents the fate. We talked about Christmas fate. It was spurred, that fate, and all the time that had been from the time of all the prophets. By faith, they looked forward for the Messiah. The birth fulfilled their fate and fulfilled God's prophecy. Second came the death, which would be the redemption, the perfect sacrifice without sin. Turn with me, if you will, here to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. As we see all that Christmas begins to take place well within the Scriptures. Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, 
that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. We were redeemed. You and I have the opportunity to appear before our Creator, not with all the sin and the baggage that life brings to us, but through the lens of the blood that was shed on that cross, that death. His death could have never happened had He not had the birth. But because there's birth, there had to be the death, the remission of sin. It is through His blood that all of our sins were taken away. We were sanctified, as Hebrews tells us here. He says, once and for all, no more all the sacrifices, to take the first and make the second. The first was God's commandment there in the garden. You can eat of anything that is here except one tree. Do not eat of it, for the moment you eat of that tree, the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. There was death. Now the old devil, like always, lied to him, and he says, Ah, you ain't going to die. And sure enough, physically they didn't. Spiritually, they died instantaneously. They hid from God. Remember that relationship they had had, walking in the cool of the evening for a long time period, and suddenly one day they realized that they're naked and they hide from God. And God's question is, Why? Who told you you were naked and you had to hide? Forevermore, that spiritual relationship was severed. And it required the remission of the sin. Christ's death on that cross rectified that. He redeemed us. We became sanctified to have that close personal relationship. He took the old covenant and behold, there was a new covenant. Jesus tells us that as we celebrate and honor Him in remembrance through the time that we have the Lord's Supper. He says, this is my body. This is my blood. This is a new covenant. The old contract was taken away and the new contract was simply by believing on Him and accepting Him as our Lord and Savior, we could be sanctified and come forward. It also tells us of the perfect love that He had for us. Revelation chapter 12. I know I'm going back and forth, aren't I? But you need to be able to see this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren, who accused them before God, day and night has been cast down. You see, there's a moment of that death when when Jesus cried out, it is finished. All of the battle for all of time was over with. His death on that cross throwed we know that the Satan was already, had already been cast out. But that moment and that instant, he overcame Satan's greatest tool of a spiritual death. That death was taken care of and removed. For Jesus Christ allows us to live forever and ever. A perfect love. Again, back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world. How many of you and I would be willing to give up one of our kids to save people 
that spit on us, that accused us of horrendous things. They placed a crown of thorns on our head and crushed it into our skull, that hit us with a cat of nine tails, not just of leather, but pieces of glass that ripped our flesh. And yet he would holler out from the, from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, that birth was for a single purpose, to come and die on that cross. For our benefit, for our redemption. Christ was perfect. He lived a sinless life. He didn't have to go to that cross for any sin because he was without sin. But he went for you and I. As he died on that cross, he paid the ultimate price for you and I forever and ever that the new covenant might, might be presented. He also is then laid in a tomb, term if you will, to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, we read these words in verse 10 and 11. He says, And in that day there shall be the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. Even the fact that he was up on a hill called Golgotha, and he was the center cross that was raised, as we see even today, above all others. He was the banner. Just as we see banners of our nations and our state as they are raised. He was the banner of God's people. Notice continues, it says, For the Gentiles shall seek him. This wasn't just for the Jews. For God so loved the world, all mankind, that whosoever believeth on him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day, verse 11, that the Lord shall set his hand with, again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. That was for all generations God allowed a way for us to be sanctified, the remnant of his people. It refers to the day and time Isaiah is speaking of, but more more theologically and prophetically, it talks about the remnant of what was left of Adam and Eve, that perfect relationship God had created for all of you and I for generations to come. He set that his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people from Assyria, Egypt. And he goes through all of these different places, even the islands of the sea, for all of mankind. He lay in that tomb, that special place that will be remembered. He paid that price. But that was not the end of the story. For we had the birth, we had the death, and the Father had promised the resurrection of life. And so the birth is represented the faith. The death represents our redemption. And finally the resurrection, which represents our worship by overcoming the death, and receiving the reward, not only for the Son of God, but also for you and I. We receive that redemption. Back to Hebrews 10 for a moment, if you will. So you should have kept your finger there. It's coming back one more time. In Hebrews 10, once again in verse 11, continuing where we were. 
and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. That was Christ's reward for being the obedient son. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. As we read in Revelation, it says, Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord of lords and the King of kings. For by, verse 14, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And we've already talked about his death was the purpose of sanctifying us. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, and I will write them. And then he adds their sins. This is our reward. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. When Jesus declared it was finished on that cross, and he went into that tomb in that third day when God resurrected him from the dead, all was finished. Once and for all, no more sacrifices. We had the opportunity to have redemption through our faith. Christ is that king. We've already read that he sits at the right hand of the Father. Turn, if you will, back a couple of books into Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. He tells us here that you and I have that opportunity in knowing where the Lord is at. As it talks about the priest we just read, he, Jesus Christ, is our high priest. We have the opportunity to go directly to him just as Adam and Eve walked with the Lord directly, not being separated from God. Here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20, he says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. You and I, the believers, all things were given to our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head, the, bride, the bridegroom, if you will, of the bride, the church being that bride. And for our reward, he also tells us in Matthew chapter 25 what is to come for you and I. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 34. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Isn't that neat? 
God created Adam and Eve and said, let us make man and all. And he walked with them in the cool of the evening. But God's thoughts were far beyond that. He was creating a kingdom for all that he created. For all of us, we have the choice to choose him and believe in his son to be redeemed and sanctified. Or we can deny that. But it was for you and I to be able to live in heaven, in God's house. Jesus tells also, he says, I go to a place where my are many mansions. My Father's preparing for you. He also promises us that we have no fear of this death spiritually. Revelations chapter 2 and verse 11. He promises you and I that death physically on this earth is not the end. It is just the beginning. Revelations 2, 11. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He who overcomes what? Overcomes the temptations of the devil. Does that mean we're perfect? No. The greatest lie the devil has ever told he told day one, and he still tells it today, when he told Eve, surely you won't die. You don't think we still hear that same lie? Listen to the news and people talk. Surely a righteous, loving God, you say God is full of love, they would, he would not send someone to hell for all of eternity. He doesn't. He gave you and I a choice. We choose where we spend eternity. We choose whether we live with Him or we go to hell. That's the bottom line. Some folks, some preachers won't even preach that because they say you scare people. Good. I hope it scares the hell right out of you. Because you see, if you're not in heaven, you will be cast. We read the scripture earlier in Revelation where Jesus says, I have the keys to hell in Hades. And he also said that's where the dragon went and his demons, Satan, the deceiver of old. You either spend it with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father all eternity or you spend it in hell with the devil and his followers. Which will you be? It's that simple. It's a choice you and I make. God believes in giving us freedom we live in a country where our freedom is the most important things. We as Texicans, secondly, always believe our freedom is the most important things. For all of those that weren't blessed enough to be born here, I feel for you, but at least you were smart enough to get here, okay? <laughs> Don't bring your foreign ways to us. It was about freedom. And God blessed that desire for man to have freedom. Because our forefathers, both of this nation and of this state, prayed and worshipped the one and true living God, desiring the freedom that he would give. And so Jesus was the example of that freedom. He gave us the freedom to choose. You can think of no colder words than on that day of judgment to hear, depart from me, for I never knew you. You see, it was all because of the birth. The birth of a new covenant. The death of the old covenant. The resurrection and the gloriousness 
of our Savior who lives forever and in turn give you and I the option. Thank goodness for the second covenant. I couldn't cut the first. I only cut the second because of His mercy and His grace. You see, the Trinity was there. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. At the very beginning in the creation of this world. The Trinity was there on the celebration we call Christmas. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He proclaimed it to the least. But He gave it to the least to filter all the way to the top. That everyone had that opportunity. He tells us in Revelation, while you're there, go to 21. He gives us this in the last part of Revelation to remind us of why He went to the cross and what lays before us and how things will be in the new Jerusalem, that place we call home. Chapter 21 of Revelation in verse 22, John records, But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Remember when Jesus came and He said, I am the light of the world. This evening we celebrate a Christmas lighting. On Christmas Eve, how the light came into the world to disperse the darkness that has overshadowed us from the moment that Satan tempted and won the victory over Adam and Eve of all mankind. That has gone away. And the nations, in verse 24, of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Verse 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abnegation or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, if your name's not in the Lamb's book of life, if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, the gift of Christmas is for you. He would have gone to that cross even if there was only one because He so loved the world. Christmas, the Trinity again was together. And not only was the Trinity together, but with man. Just as it was in the beginning, as God walked in the cool of the day to have that relationship. Preacher, how do you know that? Real simple. Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. As the angels proclaimed, as the shepherds were there, glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth, peace. Jesus had been born. Goodwill towards men. He came for the salvation of whosoever would believe on him. Christmas Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the birth, the death, the resurrection, our faith, our redemption, and our worship. He is due it all. Christmas is the beginning, the beginning of glorious things to come for all of mankind. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Bow with me if you will.